Okay, so yesterday when the inflation numbers came out, the inflation numbers weren't so good. But we did tell you that there was one indicator yesterday that showed us that the market was going to recover. And we said to you guys that you should probably take some long positions. And that's exactly what happened. We went all the way down, all the way from 18,600. We touched 18,000 or 19,800. Now we're starting to come down again. But that same indicator is flashing again and today we're going to talk about what that indicator is telling us to do we're going to be talking about the rally and the recovery because yesterday's recovery was one of the best recoveries in history and usually when a market turns it, it turns after a situation where you get a big drop and then you get a fast recovery so is this the beginning of a of a bigger rally or is this just a short squeeze that's what we're going to be talking about today it's a friday and as you guys know fridays are banter days so let's do this guys let's do it let's do it let's do it Out of bed, bitch, go. Get up, get up, get the guy, go. Gotta wake up, gotta wake up, bitch, get up. Get up, get up, get up. Get up. get you on wearing i had to get you on wearing that saying kimono moving to the music how are you kev i love it i absolutely love, love it, it. <laughs> all right we're going to bring you back on in a second guys so you can see Ke uh, kevin o'leary is here with us in the wedding because today's friday and on fridays we banter and today's going to be a huge 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 banter because we've got a lot to discuss today we've got a lot to discuss today but just before we start today's banter let's just do some housekeeping first so first of all remember that our friday banters are brought to you by none other than the best and the only VPN that crypto people should use. And that, of course, is NordVPN. Remember, if you guys are in crypto and you're not using a VPN, that's crazy, absolutely crazy. If you're in crypto, you've got to be using a VPN for many, many reasons. For one, it hides your IP address. And if it hides your IP address, then exchanges don't know where you are in the world. So don't DeFi protocols know where you are in the world. And you also make it much, much, much harder for the hackers to get to know where you are and, uh, and take your coin. So if you've survived the bear market and you've made it this far, um, don't lose it all on something stupid. Get yourself a VPN. As you can see, if you click the link below, you can secure your crypto for $3 a month. Okay, now who wouldn't secure their crypto for $3 a month? And if you're going to, if you're going to secure your crypto, and if you're going to use a VPN, use NordVPN because these guys are our sponsors and they bring you these amazing, amazing, amazing Friday banters. So that's the first thing. Also, 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 also. Oh, by the way, last week, you guys took out more VPNs than ever. So well done. That just makes our sponsors love us more and bring us more of these banters. Also, uh, remember, we've got our trading competition. Sheldon dropped a video earlier today. Okay, now you've got to watch this video. So this is the, the video. And in this video, he talks about his trading strategies for the trading competition. Just go and do yourself a favor and watch it. Even if you're not going to enter the trading competition, you've got no intention of entering the, 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 uh, the trading competition. Um, just go and watch that video because it gives you a whole lot of strategies. One of the best strategies uh, videos that Sheldon's done, actually. So if you haven't done that, Carl, you should go watch it. It gives you a whole lot of bullish. And did you become more bullish? I'm bullish. You are bullish. Are you long? No, I've closed it. You closed your long? 
Look, it's going down. Ah, come on, come on, come on. Oh, well, that's what we can talk about, whether it's going up or down. So remember, guys, um, first of all, if you're not subscribed to the channel, join the 90% of people who do watch the show that are subscribed. The other 10%, well, I don't know what they're doing here. Um, also, if you are a regular, like this content, help us share it, uh, give us a good comment down below, because that's what gets this, the YouTube algorithm to say that this is good content and it needs to be shared. I think that's it. I think we can actually start our Friday banter now. What do you say? All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So it is Friday. We are bantering. We're bantering with three of our friends. We've got Vinny, who we haven't seen in a while. We've got Yoni Asia, who you guys know is the founder of eToro, founder and CEO of eToro. And we've got Kevin O'Leary, who's wearing a kimono. Kev, have you just woken up? Hey, listen, I like, I like the whole kimono theme. From now on, when I'm bantering with you guys, I'm wearing a kimono and no pants. <laughs> oh, okay. 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 Vinny, how are you, my friend? I'm well, Ryan. Good to be here. Yoni, we haven't seen you in a while. How are you? Very good, very good. Enjoying my vacation. Oh, you're on vacation. Do you, do you mind if you where you are? I'm, I'm actually in Italy. Ah, okay. Amazing, so, yeah. amazing. So, so if I have kids running around behind me, I apologize. Okay, amazing. We've got a slight lag, but I think, I, I think it'll work. All right, guys, let's get into it. Let's talk, about, uh, let's talk about the markets. Let's talk specifically around yesterday. So yesterday we got inflation numbers. The inflation numbers were up, and initially the market interpreted them as bad inflation numbers. But then the Biden administration came out and said that, according to their calculations, the inflation numbers on an annualized basis were very, very, very close to 2%. In fact, let's really get the data from uh, what, they, what they said. They said, um, today's report shows some progress in the fight against higher prices, even even as we have more work to do, inflation over the last three months has averaged 2% at an annualized rate. That's down from 11% in the prior quarter. How did you guys read the inflation data? I'm interested to understand. Well, the way I read it was the Fed's going to raise rates 75 basis points. Um, you know, there, there's no question they're going to keep going. You're printing an inflation CPI number of over 8%. What no one knows, though, is how much of this inflation is caused by supply chain issues because, you know, I've got a pretty good lens on supply chain issues. I have 54 private companies in our portfolio. Everything from gym equipment to greeting cards, commercial kitchens, wireless charging, you name it, were involved. And when we talk to the CEOs of these companies, they're still having a really hard time. Let's just take the gym equipment company in Fargo, North Dakota. We used to get our metal from Asia. We can't get it anymore. We can't get it through the port in Los Angeles. So we have to make the barbells and all the gym equipment. In the U.S., costs 30% more. We pass the price on to the consumers. They're still buying it, and that's inflation. Now, as soon as we get the supply chain thing worked out, we'll be dropping prices, but we haven't been able to get it worked out yet. So I think half the inflation, frankly, from my point of view, is this temporary supply chain, but I don't know how temporary it's going to be. I've been waiting a year now to fix just the gym equipment story, and it hasn't been repaired yet. I mean, yeah. if it is the supply issues, and I think I agree with you that this is caused primarily by supply issues and by the Russia-Ukraine war, raising rates to to quell demand, how does that help? Like, uh, uh, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. No. no, it doesn't. It doesn't help. It just makes it worse. I mean, you got to you, yeah. you, you remember something. The reason we have inflation in the first place is we've in the U.S. we printed six point seven trillion dollars in thirty months. What do you expect is going to happen when you print that much? The definition of inflation is too much cash chasing too few goods. There's too much money. $6.7 trillion in 30 months free money out of the helicopter. That's nuts. Of course there's inflation. 
Well, if you also look at shelter, which is housing, uh, you know, it's up massively. Why? Well, you've created this problem where people cannot move or sell their homes because they cannot buy another home. So you have basically rental shortages that are emerging across the country because if you're locked in at 2% in your home and you want to buy another home of the same price down the road or you want to sell the home, you're going to be paying 6 7% potentially on a mortgage. Like people can't do that. So the entire housing market is frozen. The, the number of mortgage refinance companies have gone under in the past three months is like, I think it's like, some ridiculous number, 20, 30, 40% gone bankrupt. And mm-hmm. and people can't migrate. So you, you've got this problem where rentals are going up. People can't even, they, they, they can't find places to rent. But that's the idea of the Fed hiking rates. They're trying to slow down the economy. And that's exactly what's starting to happen. So eventually, by the way, I don't think the supply issues are temporary because we're in a process of deglobalization. Right. So a lot of the Asian countries are sort of centralizing their own sort of supply demand uh, and the Western countries are now struggling to create what they used to import from Asia. So that's not necessarily a temporary thing. And we've all seen, especially in crypto. Right. So crypto is like, a, a you know, something of a, a square to the economy when crypto is extremely high and everybody's investing more and everybody's doing ICOs or NFTs and you feel everything is bubbly, you see prices going up. And that's exactly what we've seen in the economy. That's inflation. The prices of everything went up because everybody was willing to pay anything to buy stuff. And that's exactly what the Fed is trying to stop at all costs because history shows that if inflation does get out of control, then sometimes you just can't can't take control of it. But is what the Fed doing actually working? Because if you look at the previous rates, so the Fed's been hiking rates at a faster pace than I would say almost ever before, but this is uh, one of the charts that I found in terms of the the pace of of rate hikes relative to uh, many other periods. As you can see over here, I have a, a similar chart just uh, for prudence, which also shows we're hiking aggressively, but not uh, um, the most aggressively in history. And with all these aggressive rate hikes, your year on year inflation is still at 8.1%. So, I mean, is what the Fed doing actually working? Well, it hasn't worked it, it, yet. It hasn't worked yet. I'll tell you something very interesting about this cycle. And of course, every recession has a different tone to it. We get tear sheets every Tuesday morning on revenue and free cash flow from most of our companies. So we get a pretty good read on a weekly basis. And so far, and this is kind of interesting, no slowdown yet. No slowdown. And these are consumer goods and services. So we have not seen a slowdown. And so and the reason we care about this data is we're trying to make a decision <clears throat> Excuse me, <clears throat> on what we're going to do with inventory going into holiday in the U.S., we got a $110 million decision to make in the next week. Do we build inventory with the assumption that demand remains constant? Or do we feel in Q4 that demand will pull back because the Fed's raised rates? And so we've made the decision we're going to go balls to the wall, build out for Q4. We don't see the recession in the next few months. We think it happens next year, but we don't know. And this is the same consideration that every company's trying to make. Inventory matters in a recession because you get caught offside and your capital's tied up in inventory. But we don't see the slowdown yet, which is crazy. We can't hire anybody. Employment's still, unemployment's still under 4%. And so when you try and hire anybody in food services, you can't. 
you, f- 15 minimum in, in California in a restaurant. You can't even hire people for $22 an hour. So something's really nuts here. And I think what it is is that that, that money is still sloshing around. That $6.7 trillion is still sloshing around the market. And that's why we haven't seen the slowdown yet. Everybody says it's coming. Everybody says we're in a recession. Well, where is it? Well, I mean, part of it is the, the overnight re- reverse repo uh, purchases are two point something trillion. That's just cash sitting on the sidelines every single day. It's at record highs with the Fed every single day. Uh, it, it's look. I think this. I mean, Yoni, I, I, I get what they're trying to do. It's not working, as Kevin says. Okay, they're trying to squash demand. People, people like you know, unemployment's not going up. It's a very, very difficult situation right now. They're not able to actually. They're going to have to break the economy in order to get achieve what they're trying to achieve. We're just used to things, right? Our our Gen, Gen Y is used to things happening super fast, mm-hmm. but economic cycles have been happening for the last three hundred years and economic cycles take time. So what, what the Fed is doing by raising rates, they're making investors invest less because they can get four and four and a half percent on bonds now suddenly, right? So they're investing less, companies are hiring less. So eventually salaries get a bit deflated or stop rising. So people have less money to buy stuff, you know, and again, I don't think it's a good policy, but poor get poorer. Uh, in the process where eventually it's supposed to lead to lowering inflation. But those cycles just take four to six quarters. Historically, it's taking four to six quarters for that to actually reach the economy. So everybody's asking, why hasn't it happened yet? Because it just it just takes time. Okay, so question. The Fed has increased rates at 75 basis points. And as I showed you guys the chart a few seconds ago, very, very, very aggressively. If I look at the data for the next or the probabilities for the next uh, 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 FOMC meeting, which happens on the 2nd of November, there's a 97.4% chance that we're going with a 75 basis point rate hike. Wouldn't it be more prudent for the Fed, given what you just said, Yoni, wouldn't it be more prudent for the Fed to chill and see what the effects are of what they have done before they carry on doing what they're doing? And I'm saying this because if you look at it, on a US only basis, okay, maybe. But if you look at what's happening as a result of these interest rate hikes and the strong dollar, what's happening to all the emerging markets and not even emerging markets, the euro, the Japanese yen, the pound, wouldn't it be a a more prudent approach to say, it it takes four to six months, as you say, for the cycle to feed itself in? Quarters, quarters. Quarters, four to six quarters. Why shouldn't we just wait and see what happens with what we've done? So, so everybody, uh, again, economists usually look at history at, at sort of, you know, decades. And, and, and what scares people is potentially hyperinflation. And the thing with hyperinflation, that it's uh, a loop that sort of feeds itself. And, and that's the scariest thing for, again, for any economy getting into inflation. Once you get into plus 10% inflation, that feeds itself. And then it's very hard to get out of that loop, right? So last time that happened in the U.S. was uh, late 70s, early 80s. And people are just afraid of doing that. And that's why they're sort of using using all of the ammo that they have to try and stop inflation while it's under 10%. Again, you know, from a hopium point of view, I'd love the Fed to stop doing what they're doing. It's bad for my 
crypto portfolio. It's bad for my stock portfolio. It's bad for business. But if you look at why they're doing it, they're doing it because economists are, are, you know, and people are scared from hyperinflation. Hyperinflation in the U.S. is chaos. Okay, so you, so I, I guess then you condone what the Fed's doing. You think that another seventy-five basis point rate hike is pretty okay, given what you've just said. I guess the I, question, I think, the, the, the question is, where's the terminal rate? I mean, at what point yeah. do they indicate that they're going to stop? Because another seventy-five basis points already anticipated in the two-year. You're about four and a half percent on twenty-four month money. Um, the stock market is fribulating. It's, it's having a lot of volatility. The VIX is trying to figure out the moment the Fed pauses. And so this is, this is the interesting challenge. I don't care if you're in crypto, your equities or bonds. What happens in these cycles? And this is always a challenge. And we have a good example of in recent times, 2020, in the middle of pandemic, total chaos around the world and the markets. The, the stock market actually did quite well because it was all this QE coming into it, this quantitative support and the Fed printing money. But all of the returns, 95% of the returns came in basically 18 trading sessions, 18 eight-hour periods where you had that volatility 2,000 points up, 2,000 points down. You just didn't know which day those updates occurred. And so if you were trying to time the market, you missed the entire returns of the year. The same thing is going to happen here. As soon as people figure out or feel or just get the tone from the Fed that they're going to take that pause, you're going to have a violent swing up in the market. And if you're not in the market that day, that's half your returns you'll miss. It'll happen in a, in a few days. And so, you know, everybody tries to time the market. It's impossible. Everybody learns the hard way I did years ago. So I stay the course. I try and add a little bit on down days into just an index. I use a broad index of both mid cap and large cap stocks that Alps put out, you know, and shameless in telling it's OUSA and OUSM. But those indexes are 300 really high quality stocks in the U.S. that pay dividends. And they're violently volatile, except yesterday was crazy up. So you and if I'm, I'm glad I was in the market yesterday, same thing could happen today. You just don't know. Timing is impossible, and this volatility makes everybody squeamish. So the, I agree with you. The, just to answer your question, I think the, the issue, you know, you're right. A point, you said this, I said this on Twitter as well. 50 basis point hike is what the market probably needs. Here's, the, here's fundamentally the issue, okay? The, and, and this was, I, I tweeted this out before, obviously, the, the inflation numbers. The issue is that the Fed hasn't got, they'd lost their credibility a while ago. And they've been, and, and they actually they, they actually messed up last year when inflation started going up. They went, oh, it's transitory, and everyone believed them, or some people did, and they didn't move. They didn't move the the rate hiking cycle up earlier. So they've been the reason you had those charts with the with the steep uh, the, the steep climb in interest rates versus you know all previous uh, years and decades was because they were behind. They were behind. They had to play catch up because they messed up. And so here's here, here's the point, like. They messed up last year. Do we trust them to do the right thing right now? They have a credibility problem. They don't have a choice. They've got to raise 75 basis because they said they're going to effectively keep rising to the point of real, real rates are positive. Uh, you know, so literally like the Fed's, you know, their brittle ego is going to determine which way the market goes. I mean, funny that you mentioned that. Someone sent me this video. I'm sure you've seen it, but I'll play it again just for the, for the viewers. 
um, around the the narrative. I really doubt that we're going to see an inflationary cycle. Most economic analysts believe that it will have a temporary or transitory impact. The faster than expected increase in some of those prices is actually a good sign. The overwhelming consensus is going to pop up a little bit and then go back down. No one's talking about this great, great deal. This is something that will uh, settle down. Transitory. Transitory. <laughs> and the data shows that most of the price increases we've seen are were expected and expected to be temporary. There's nobody suggesting there's unchecked inflation on the way. It's un highly unlikely that it's going to be long-term inflation that's going to get out of hand. I don't know anybody who's worried about inflation. Over the last couple of months, uh, we actually saw it trended downward. President Biden's chief of staff, Ron Klain, enthusiastically retweeted an economist who had said in part, most of the economic problems we're facing, inflation, supply chains, et cetera, are high class problems. What is the grand home plan to increase oil production in America? <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> that is hilarious. Well, the number one thing that the president can do is help get COVID under control. Uh, that we know is the root cause of inflation. President Biden this afternoon saying he thinks we're at the peak of the crisis right now and that lower prices are on the way. The inflation has everything to do with the supply chain. Make no mistake, inflation is largely the fault of Putin. I'm going to do everything I can to minimize Putin's price hike here at home. If you want to get rid of inflation, the only way to do it is to um, re undo a lot of the Trump tax cuts. Ever since you've come into office, things are really looking up. You know, gas is up, rent. Like, I mean, uh, this look. This was clearly an anti-Biden uh, uh, thing, but I mean that is the narrative that the the Fed and the, the administration has fed us for the last year, right? So, so I guess that's why nobody does it. Vinny, can I be can I be um, presumptuous and say that you have that you're now calling for seventy-five basis point rates? I can. Oh uh, yeah, no, I don't think. I mean, now they don't have a choice. If there was any opportunity for them to not rate, look. There's a, I would say there's a ten percent chance that that something happens between now and. Uh, now in the next meeting, maybe, you know, maybe 10, 15% chance, like, uh, you know, a, a like th they need something to break treasury bonds, some part of the market to dislocate, to actually stop the 75 base point height. But what is interesting is the rebound yesterday, which we should talk about and how Let's that, you know, because the market dumps. Okay. So I, I mean, I was up at like five thirty, and we watched, we, we watched like a pretty, pretty red day starting off and everything dumped. And then we saw this turnaround. And I don't think it's, it's because I think like once people had a chance to digest the numbers, it looked a lot better than what it was. But what is interesting is a lot of people were betting to the downside and a lot of the shorts got squeezed big time. So if you look at this chart here, this was a, a classic like short squeeze in this in this situation where uh, the moment people bought this dip, ah, people thought it was going to go lower. And Bitcoin, is this the Bitcoin chart? Or is it USA? But that's a, the Bitcoin that's a chart, they it's were no. It's the same chart. So here's, here's the Bitcoin chart uh, on the one hour. Let me just get, get it for us on the one hour. It's exactly the same chart. Specifically on Bitcoin, what we know is that there was a massive short squeeze because we were watching the long short ratios and we could yes. see that there was a three to one short to long leverage ratio before, before yesterday. Uh, actually, when I looked at it today, by the way, I've got this, the, the, the leverage here. There's still a 2.5 to 1 short long ratio on GMX. Now, GMX is just an indicator. It's not, it's not all the leverage in the market, but it is quite a reliable indicator. And we've been tracking this and using this as an indicator. And every single time that the shorts outnumber the longs by more than 2 to 1, you get a short squeeze. 
and the other way around on the longs. When the longs outnumber the shorts by two to one, then you get the longs getting wrecked. And it's been we've we've back tested it about on about ten big moves. And what it's showing you now is that the next move is up. So let's see if this indicator is actually right. I I think like fundamentally there's a breakdown in trust globally, and so. If you look at what's happening in the gilt market and around the world, I mean, they, we have a looming energy crisis in Europe. I mean, people don't appreciate how bad this could get, and depending on how cold the winter gets. And so what I try to explain to people with Bitcoin in particular is the Bitcoin being stable is only stable in dollars. OK, it's been around 19K for a while. In other currencies, it's rising. So if you're in rands, if you're in whatever uh, other currency in the world that you're in, you're seeing the price of Bitcoin going up. And now if you see inflation numbers are high, the Fed, every time the Fed hikes rates, it effectively draws liquidity out of whatever local currency you have, which weakens the currency. So they have to respond by raising rates as well, or their currency gets weakened. But the, 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 but, but the impact is felt on the one global asset, Bitcoin, which is traded everywhere in the world. If you live in, a, in South Africa, you don't really care about the dollar exchange rate. You do care more about the price of Bitcoin in rands. And this is, this is something which is really, really interesting because I think this is going to basically be the catalyst for the next Bitcoin run is higher Fed rates basically weakens foreign currencies and people flee those currencies. It's kind of Gresham's law sort of, uh, uh, you know. So, it's so interesting that you said that because that's the narrative we've been talking about on the show for the last couple of weeks. We've been saying, look, you know, this the reason why we think that this is going to be a Bitcoin cycle and why dominant Bitcoin dominance is actually probably going to go up towards 50% in this is because Wait, people... I said that first one last year. Do you remember that I, conversation? I'm not sure if you did, but I, you know what I think it is? I think it's because we've both lived in South Africa. And yeah. having lived in South Africa, we appreciate what happens when a currency collapses. Now, for people living in the United States, it's very difficult to comprehend what happens when your currency devalues 20% overnight. For people living in South Africa, Argentina, and I mean, even places like, like, like Europe now, where you look at what's happening, happened to the European currency, it's obviously not as aggressive. We understand that you need something that's transportable yes. and, 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 and somewhere with, that you can get your money out uh, in and out of very, very quickly, specifically if you have to leave where you're at. So, I mean, one thing we've seen with Russia, Ukraine, is that a lot of the Ukrainians had to leave. So if you own property, if you own gold, if you own silver, you can't leave. You can't take that with you. And I think that, that, that's a big thing. Um, Yoni, Yoni um, and Kev, do you guys agree that this is potentially a new cycle for Bitcoin where as emerging market currencies start to collapse, not only emerging market currencies, but even other big currencies, as they start to collapse relative to the dollar, people may flee into Bitcoin because that's a safe place to be. It, it might happen that it, it might happen that way, but let me suggest a different reason to start going long Bitcoin, which has nothing to do with foreign currencies, but a lot to do with policy in the United States. There's a bill. There's two bills floating around, but let's talk about the one that has the chance of actually getting passed in the U.S. after November 8th, which is the midterm elections. It almost went to markup last week. It's called the Stablecoin Transparency Act. Now, this has nothing to do with Bitcoin, but it has a lot to do with the tone of regulation. And the reason I think it's interesting is they're trying to solve for the challenges that occurred in these collapses of stable coins that were built around algorithms. 62 billion got erased. The regulators got upset about that, although the majority of that capital, because it was decentralized, was in other countries. But this act is very simple in nature, which is why it may pass. It's being supported by both parties. And the reason that's the case is that it makes effectively the U.S. dollar the default payment system worldwide. 
which everybody can get behind. So if you have USDC or any other stablecoin that's backed by the dollar, and the test to get it regulated is very simple. You're going to get audited every 30 days. It has to be backed up one-to-one -one with a dollar or a treasury bill. All the treasury bills backing the coin or the token have to have a duration of less than 12 months. And if you're willing to go through that scrutiny, they'll, they'll issue you a license. Now, if that were to happen, and it may happen very quickly after November 8th if the House flips, and that's the anticipation is House flips, nobody knows what's going to happen in the Senate. That's a taunt, coin toss. But even though it has nothing to do with Bitcoin, that'll be the first regulation passed by U.S. regulators. And I would argue you want to be long Bitcoin going into that outcome. So if you own stable coins, you're going to see a lot of interest in institutional capital coming into, let's say, USDC and Circle. Circle, by the way, took in $200 million in Fidelity and $200 million from BlackRock a few weeks ago in a Series F at a $9 billion valuation. They got $54 billion of coin. So end of the day, regulation comes, Bitcoin goes up. And I agree with your thesis that it's a good asset to have if you're in a, in a country where your, your currency is collapsing. But if institutions smell policy, then you've got a real move up. And that's when you break out of this $19,000 to $22,000 trading range against the U.S. dollar. I think it goes right through that very quickly. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you mentioned that. I think, it's, I think that that's a point that a lot of people are missing. How important it is to regulate stables because stables are the, the on-ramp for people to come and play with us on the ecosystem. On that note, though, what I did notice around USDC specifically is that they're facing a very large decline in the number of USDC in circulation. So they were on about 56 billion. They were catching up, they were catching up on, on USDT, which is Tether. And today they're looking at 45 billion. So they've lost about 20% of their coins in circulation. Now, initially, what I thought was that they lost the coins in circulation because people have lost interest and have withdrawn their money and, it, and, and we don't need as many US, USDC. But then I looked at USDT. And if I look at USDT, USDT hasn't, if I remember correctly, well, let me just very quickly just check this. Um, here we go. So, okay, so they're down. Okay, they're also down, but they, they were down from the same time from 72 million to about 67, 67 billion. Um, just, to, just to give you an idea, there, there has been a sharp drop in the use of stable coins. And I think USDC suffered a lot more than USDT. Any idea why that would have happened? Is that just people losing interest in crypto? It's, uh, no, it's the other side of exactly what Kevin said. It is quite clear that USDC is the more regulated stable coin out there. But with what happened with Tornado Cash, with what's happening around sanctions, travel rule, FATF, uh, sorry for using acronyms, but... What's going on is people outside now the U.S., people in Asia, people in countries that are concerned more about, by the way, what Vin Vinny talked about, right? So a lot of people around the world who have wealth are concerned about their money get, getting frozen, their money getting confiscated by governments. Um, and again, most of the people around the world are not in Western countries. Their fiat money is going eventually to zero in the next 30 years, most of them, um, and, and they don't necessarily trust the local banking system. So for them, it actually scares them when they think about the fact that in theory, um, you know, U.S. regulators could have control over USDC. So I think, by the way, it's very important to have those to this dynamic of something that's more regulated and less regulated, especially when we think about 
global citizens around the world. But 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 it does seem okay. like when we, we when we operate in Asia, we see a lot of people who actually transitioned from banking to operating a hundred percent in crypto and, and stable coins. There's another reason as well. Forty-five days ago, you could take and you could lend or stake your USDC within your wallet. Let's say you had a wallet at Circle. You were making three point eight to five point two percent for 30 day or six month or one year contracts. That was the spread. And you were putting that out very easily on their platform. Today, the only interest you can make is half of, is 50 basis points. When, and you're looking at, at two year treasuries at four and a half percent, there's no competition. Part of the challenge USDC has is it wants to get regulated so it can act as a sweep account and start to be competitive against bank accounts that are offering 1.5, 2% interest rates. So you have no incentive to keep your stable coin in your wallet. You're transferring back to US dollar and parking it back in a fiat currency where you can get risk-free, you know, basically a treasury bill for 24 months, 4.5%. Now the company's not allowed yet by regulators to do that. That's the circle for USDC. So they're in a, an uncompetitive situation and it's a disadvantage that's why they want this regulation. They can start, even if they act as a bank, they can compete with bank interest rates. But you have your money sitting in USDC. You're basically, you're basically making nothing in interest. That's the real challenge. Unless you want to invest it in DeFi. And I think everybody's very, very, very scared of DeFi at the moment, especially given what happened over the last couple of, of months. But I, I mean, I, I guess it is a very interesting environment to be in where the interest rates in 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 DeFi aren't as competitive anymore and interest rates on two-year treasury yields, as you say, are 4.5% or whatever else. Um, I saw this tweet and I want to just talk about this tweet for a second. So JP Morgan reported its highest quarterly net interest income ever and actually raised its guidance for the year. This is the money that bank that banks earn on loans minus what it pays out for deposits. So now cue the discussion around why banks aren't paying more on their customer deposits. That's one thing I want to talk about. But more importantly is Jamie Dimon, has been anti-Bitcoin for a long time. He was anti-Bitcoin in 2017. He is still as much anti-Bitcoin today, uh, five years later. At the same time, his bank is recommending Bitcoin, recommending making it available, having custody for their, for their clients uh, in Bitcoin. Why, why do you think Jamie Dimon has such a negative stance on crypto? I, I think it's just bad for his business. Well, he, his business is generating on the 1.2 trillion dollars of cash money generating uh, revenues on, on stock trading on capital markets on bonds his business isn't crypto trading and it's just bad for bitcoin is bad for the banking business in general it creates a disintermediation it creates significantly more uh, competition in the space with innovation that's faster uh, that can be implemented in traditional and regulated banking service. So I think he's just, uh, and potentially rightfully so, talking his book. Um, he's, you know, it's just bad for Bitcoin becoming digital gold and going to $100,000, $200,000 is bad to JP Morgan's business. You know, his stock, along with other bank stocks last week, hit new 52-week lows. Part of that challenge is this concept of the Stablecoin Act being passed, and that specifically hurts him on ACH transfers and wire transfer fees, which are very high between banks, particularly across 
economic geography. So if you're transferring from U.S. dollar to Swiss franc through an ACH, um, you're going to pay a lot of fees and you pay a lot on the, on the SWIFT transfer as well. And those banks make millions of dollars each quarter off those fees. If all of a sudden you are allowed to use a stable coin at a fraction of that cost and both regulators allowed for that transfer, that would really hurt profits in banks, not just JP Morgan. And so you're seeing a lot of that issue right now in the, in the equity values. You would think as rates go up, these bank stocks would be moving north. No, they're hitting new 52-week lows. And part of this is the market trying to anticipate the disruption when it's going to happen. Here's a, here's a question for every investor to think about. There's a risk in investing in Bitcoin and all crypto. There's also a risk of not investing in it. Because if it's true that it becomes the 12th sector of the S&P in the next decade, some of the value in financial services stocks like banks, like money center banks, are going to transfer to these new technologies. And you simply don't know when that's going to happen. So my thesis is you should have some crypto in your portfolio because you don't know when that's going to occur. And if you, if you completely don't have exposure to it, you may miss participating in the growth of this 12th sector, the S&P, which would be a bad outcome for performance. How much of your portfolio is currently in crypto? It was 20% before the correction. It's now 16.2. We monitor it every day, just like we do stocks. We're having a very hard time with our auditors and internal compliance people because it doesn't act like an equity. It doesn't act like a bond. It trades liquid 24 hours a day. So mark to market means nothing at 4.01 in the afternoon. So we're constantly monitoring that. But I'm not the only person that has this view. We are adding to that position because in the way we manage our operating company's portfolio, we can have any sector up to 20%, but no more than 5% in any one position. So given that, we have a lot of different positions. And we just put capital to work in Miston last week, that project that came out of Facebook. We're, we're always looking for new projects because we simply don't know which ones are going to survive. But we don't need them all to survive. We just need a portion, just like venture investing. But crypto is going to cause a lot of disruption, in my view, in financial services, which is a large sector of the S&P. So if you don't invest in it, you also have the risk of missing that transition. Okay, uh, I think that I think that, that that's a fair point. I think I buy the fact that that uh, it's probably as risky, or probably even more risky, not to be in crypto than it is to be in crypto at the moment, right? I agree. Kev, uh, sorry, uh, Yoni, what are your thoughts? Well, first, I, I agree 100% that blockchain technology and crypto are going to significantly disrupt everything in financial services. Uh, now, as a, as a fintech entrepreneur, founded eToro 15 years ago, and have seen sort of how much financial technology progress, you can't compare that into what we're seeing in DeFi. It's like comparing something from, you know, 25 years into the future to the present. So innovation is significantly faster and there's no doubt that most most assets in the world are going to transform and become digital uh, and therefore exchanges uh, you know central bank digital currencies we're going to see that which means the technology of crypto and blockchain is basically going to eat financial services eventually now that doesn't mean some banks can't leap into that transition but it's going to be very hard for non-tech driven uh, companies to basically become not only tech companies, but sort of digitally native blockchain companies. The second part, which I think is sort of ma more, more macro, maybe sort of longer horizon, 
is the success of crypto eventually, and I think that's what's scaring regulators and governments around the world, is a potential lead to the largest bank run in human history, right? That's also the challenge in, in central bank digital currencies. If retail investors could invest in the dollar directly into the Fed, why would they have dollars in banks? Because it's safer to have your money directly in the Fed if the Fed's giving you Fed interest rates. That's mean no, no intermediary. You're getting the 3.25 or whatever Fed rates are or Israel shekel rates are or pound. Uh, in the UK, you'd be investing directly into the Queen's Bank. Uh, so if that happens, that creates a huge financial instability to the current uh, a fractional reserve system because if retail investors can invest in central bank digital currency directly into the dollar and the pound, which pays them the, the actual interest rate of the bank, then they'll pull all of their money out of the banking system into those CDBCs. And if that doesn't happen, potentially they pull all of their money into something like Bitcoin or Ethereum or, or other cryptocurrencies. So as this process happens that Vinny talked about before, right? And these are long-term processes, right? We've been 10 years into this. In the next 10 years, people are going to see a 20-year chart of Bitcoin versus their local currency. And they're going to say, okay, it doesn't make sense not to own Bitcoin if I live in any place that the value of my local currency significantly devalued against Bitcoin. And as that happens, that creates a significant risk of a bank run, which again is very bad for the banking industry and the financial services sort of index uh, uh, as publicly traded companies. Cool. Vinny, any thoughts there? I think you're muted. Is Vinny muted? Yeah. Sorry, I agree with wholeheartedly with both, uh, both Kevin and Yoni. Um, you know, I think that there's, this, there's another thing I'd, I'd add. Like, this bear market, there's been a year when no one's really paying attention to what's happening in crypto. Uh, we, we, you know, everyone's focused, like the focus has been on the price, not the underlying technology and what's actually been happening. Everyone's been going, oh, the price is going down. And I've been through, I mean, I'm in crypto, Bitcoin since 2013. So it's been, it's been nine years now. I've seen this happen, the cycle play out multiple times. And whenever we're in the bear market, everyone forgets about the technology, what's being developed and the progress we're making. And everyone focuses just on the price. And then suddenly someone wakes up and goes, oh, we're in a bull market run. Everything goes to the roof because they look back and go, oh, this is so much tech was built in the past two years. DeFi's come out. This has come out, whatever. Um, and then you have a bull run, right? So the same cycle is repeating itself. We're, we're, you know, the market's basically very blind to what's going on. And I put, put a tweet out a couple of days ago where I, I, did, I showed an example on Filecoin. And... Filecoin is doing over two petabytes a day worth of storage across 100,000 transactions. I mean, that's real utility and that's real use for a blockchain, right? Um, I think, I think yeah. there is a, I think there is a lot of, I think there's a lot of building and a lot of adoption happening behind the scenes. I, I, don't, I don't think you can, you can uh, uh, do that. But I think in the bull market, we were overhyping the amount of adoption that we were expecting. And I think in the bear market, we've gone backwards and we, I think we're underestimating exactly. the amount. Exactly. And I think exactly. eventually, eventually it's going to find, it's going to find the equilibrium. Um, speaking of bull markets and bear markets and being here since 2013. So here are, here is a list of the crypto bull markets. Um, 
20, 20, the first, the blue line is 2011, 2012, very, very aggressive, very, very fast. Uh, the red line is, sorry, the, 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 the red one is 2014, which you see was much longer and dipped quite a bit. The orange one is 2018, and we are in the green. So you can see that the longest bear market that we've had on Bitcoin is about 420 days. Shortest was about 170 days. Currently, we're at about 340 days. So we're almost a year into the into the bear market. And I guess but, but remember, Ryan, one of the reasons these charts don't always work, I mean, history rhymes, it doesn't always repeat, is because the size of the, mar the market caps were very different in, in all those charts. So you've got, to you've got to factor in. Like back in the old days, I could move, I could tank the Bitcoin price 20% with a $250,000 sale. You know, just ma market sell order done. Now it's not possible. Now you need think, you know, a lot more. I think, the question, to do that. I think the question is a bigger question. And I think the, the question that people are asking is how long do we think that this bear cycle is going to last? And especially in light of the fact that this is the first one where we've got a macroeconomic bear, bear cycle. And I guess what people are asking, why people are asking how long they think it's going to last is, when should they start dollar cost averaging and is this the right time to be dollar cost averaging and i know that you guys are quite astute and i'd like to hear from you guys how yeah. you think about this whether you even consider how long the bear market's going to last whether you just say we're dollar cost averaging every single day because we feel that prices are very low yoni you can yeah, so, yeah, so, so so first dollar cost averaging is a great strategy when you believe in something long term and you feel you don't have yet the amount of exposure you want to that asset. Um, and, and I think it's always, and the answer is you always dollar cost average until you get into the threshold. So if you want to have Bitcoin 10% of your portfolio, you'll, you'll dollar cost average a lot, by the way, not every day, probably once a month, just so, so, so you're not doing it too much. Um, but, uh, but until you get to the level of exposure or asset allocation that you want to be allocated into Bitcoin, I do think price current price level historically, if we look at the previous bear markets, I think we're going to stay in that range, right, of 15 to 25,000 for another two or three quarters. But should you time the market? Should you say, okay, if it's in a range of 15 to 25,000, which is just, you know, a very theoretical range for the next two, three quarters, I'll wait and it'll bite when it's a bit low or maybe it's in 17, but there's a chance it actually goes to 25 and never goes back to 17. It keeps go, going up. So again, I, I still think there's uh, two quarters before the next rally. Historically, by the way, it's been a quarter before having, which if I remember correctly is February 24. Uh, so I don't think we're, we should expect, I, I always think as investors, we shouldn't be too hope, you know, full of hopium where we should scream, Bitcoin's going to be $100,000 in one quarter. It's going to take time. It's going to take time for things to compound and to, to increase in value. But I think dollar cost averaging into Bitcoin and into uh, uh, ETH is, is always a good strategy unless you feel you're overexposed. Kev, what do you think? Are you, are you trying to time this market at all or are you just buying consistently? No, we, we, we're constantly rebalancing as we do at the end of every 30-day cycle. We look at our positions, not just in, in Bitcoin and crypto, but across the portfolio. Fixed income has been as challenging as stocks. They've gone down just as much in the last 18 months. So it's been a very difficult time for every asset class. Regarding Bitcoin, though, our, you know, 
our, our own operating procedure, we can't own more than 5% of the operating fund in Bitcoin. So we also have positions in ETH and Solana and all kinds of other, uh, we're, we're just looking at putting a position on in Pollen and Helium, which are really eclectic projects around decentralizing telco. But the whole point of this is that you just simply don't know when these asset classes are going to move. I have a personal speculation around regulation. I talked about that earlier, that if the Stablecoin Act gets put into law, that will be a signal that all crypto will be regulated at some point. Some people feel good about regulation, others don't. But here's a fact to consider regardless of your position. Most of the sovereign wealth funds that I work for as an indexer have zero position in crypto of any kind. When you ask them if they're going to buy anything, they want the granddaddy, which is Bitcoin. They're willing to put 50 basis points to 1% into Bitcoin when their compliance departments allow them to. And that won't happen until the SEC rules on it as a commodity or, or a security. And the reason they can't is that these sovereign wealth funds, I don't care if you're Norway or you're UAE or you're Saudi, the majority of their money is put into the S&P. It's the only market that can absorb a billion dollars in one trade without moving the market. And that goes in around 10.05 every morning when these sovereign wealths take their 250 million that they make in oil each day out of New York. These, these transactions, remember oil is transacted in US dollars and they put it into an index of the S&P X oil, X airlines, because they own their own airlines and they have enough oil, obviously. But the reason they won't buy Bitcoin is they can't go uncompliant with the SEC. That's the number one depository for their capital. So until the SEC makes a ruling on what Bitcoin is, they won't participate. Now, here's the upside. 50 basis points in the sovereign wealth and pension world is a trillion dollars of buying. So you have to be voting and cheering on regulation. You put a trillion dollars into Bitcoin, that's when you might see it at sixty dollars to $100,000 valuation. And those funds don't care. Once they index it, they're the automatic bid when it dips below the 50 basis points or 1% they've decided to own. And they sell into strength. So there's a really, really liquid market about to happen. That's very optimistic for Bitcoin, not pessimistic. I really don't understand when people say, oh, I hate regulation and decentralized asset. You want regulation because that's where the money is. Yeah. And Kev, how significant are the midterms in regulation? How significant are they in the macroeconomic environment in the States? We're going into the midterms in less than a month. You see the Biden administra administration campaigning pretty hard. Uh, I mean, I've, I've picked up a couple. So they're campaigning on the back of the highest jobs numbers. Our economy created 263,000 jobs last month. That's 10 million jobs since I came into office. So that's one. Um, campaigning around marijuana and potentially legalizing marijuana on a federal level and pardoning all marijuana related stuff and, you, and telling us that there's not much inflation. How significant are these midterm elections on the macro picture? And how significant are they when it comes to Bitcoin? Well, it's kind of interesting from the macro perspective, um, if they lose the House and they keep the Senate, what you get is gridlock. There'll be no more spending bills for the next two years because there'll be nothing done in Washington in that situation, which is good for the markets, for the equity markets. Remarkably, it's kind of indifferent for Bitcoin and crypto because what you find in all of these bills is bipartisan support which is really something else. You, you, you look at Haggerty and Gildebrandt, that's their bill, which contemplates Bitcoin as a commodity. 
and it deals with NFTs and lots of others. But there's 21 bills floating around the Senate and the Hill, and they're all bipartisan. So it doesn't really matter what happens. The only reason there's no crypto policy is everybody's focused on November 8th. But when, when they sit again in the back end of the year and they come back from holiday, they're still supporting crypto. Most, most, both parties like the idea of some regulation on crypto. So it's more about the gridlock of getting no more spending bills that may, the market may like because most of market participants have seen enough spending. I mean, it's just... We, you know, we first we did the six trillion and then we did the Anti-Inflation Act, which was very inflationary. And then we gave the students back all their debt, which is nuts. And so everybody's sick of the spending. I think that's the opportunity for equities. Doesn't really change the outcome of Bitcoin. That will one day be regulated. You know, I read a, I read a stat this week that 47 percent of Americans under the age of 42 hold Bitcoin. Does that sound does that sound even vaguely logical to you guys? What's the number? 47% of Americans under the age of 42. And I take it they mean Americans over the age of 18 to 21. It, it, it does sound logical, though it might be, you know, few stats. So if you look at the number of users, right, uh, you know, for us it's more globally, but 30 million users on eToro. You look at Coinbase, there's 100 million users on Coinbase, uh, most of them, by the way, US-based. Uh, and probably most of them sort of geared towards the 20 to 42 age. So that, that does compute whether they understand how much they actually want to accumulate Bitcoin or they just bought for or actually got for free 10 Bitcoins, right? So you open today eToro or many other apps, you'll get a $10 free Bitcoin, right? Uh, uh, worth of Bitcoin. And that's a way to actually own Bitcoin. And I think a lot of people got into that um, through those referral links, etc. So they, they own Bitcoin. Okay, so it's not it's not as 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 linear as linear as that. Um, Vinny, any thoughts around the elections, the upcoming the midterm elections and what they could do to markets? This is the one outside outsider of you know opportunity, I think, for the interest rate hike to get paused. I think the political pressure to not do a 75 and send mortgage rates even higher going into the midterm elections is gonna be pretty high for the Fed. Um, it's it's surprising that by the way, I mean, I mean you know, Powell's a Republican, Biden reappointed him last year. Uh, and so you know, it's. I think it's an interesting amount of tension going into those midterms, and if the economy degrades in the next, you know, call it two or three weeks, uh, or two two weeks and a bit until the Fed meeting, I, I, you know, I just I kind of feel that we may get a surprise if there's some some good news that comes out somewhere, or a market breaks. You know, long end treasuries look like they're about to break. Like, if something breaks somewhere in the world in the next two weeks, you may get a reprieve down to a fifty. And that would be I mean, very bullish. I mean, can anything break? You got the 60-40 portfolio down 21% in 2022. I mean, I saw this Ke chart. Kevin's more of an expert than me on this. I mean, you know, I'm not a bond trader and I don't have a huge like bond position or anything like that. But Kevin, what do you think? I mean, liquidity is drying up in the bond market from what I can see as a, as a relative outsider. Yeah, actually, where you see it manifesting itself, because I'm very involved in the uh, fixed income market, a single B, double B, triple B, investment grade and above, right to treasuries. I'm a balance sheet guy. I've been a bond trader my whole professional life. Uh, there's no liquidity now in commercial real estate loans. The banks have completely stopped lending. 
And that's very unusual because they're trying to figure out where the cap rates are. And it's, it's very simple. Most people assumed in the U.S. economy, and it's the same in Europe and in Asia, that 15, 1 5 percent of office workers would not return to the office space. AAA Office Tower in Boston is a good example. It was trading at a 4.6 cap. Now, when cap rates go up, it means things are less valuable. Uh, today, what they found out, let's take law firms, 55% are not returning. So they've grown used to living with you know, their families in better locations near better schools or taking care of elderly patients and parents. And so you've got a real situation where AAA office and warehouse and commercial and shopping malls and all of that are being revalued lower, up to 30% lower. Take Bed Bath & Beyond, for example. This is how this directly affects the debt markets. They close 200 stores in really prime locations in American suburbs. Somebody has to spend a fortune to convert them back into climate-controlled pick-and-pack storage facilities so they can lease them back to Amazon and other Shopify and Facebook that want to use them for delivery same day to the clients in those dense areas. But that requires capital. So real estate, which is where so much capital is lent, is going through real volatility. So the true cap rates are not known yet. If there's nothing to clear the market, maybe cap rates are 11%, not 6%, and nobody knows yet. So there's something going on there that is unhealthy. And that is a space that you can really monitor, and I do daily. So that's one of the reasons banks are trading at 52-week lows, even though rates are going up and their spread should be going up. But they're not lending. They're not profiting off that anymore. And that's a very illiquid market. There's no liquidity whatsoever. Wow. Okay, guys, that's unfortunately all we have time for. Thank you so much for coming on Banter. You guys are all absolute family, absolute legends. Kevin, thank you. Good to see you again. Yoni, thank you as always. And Vinny, thank you, my friend. Good you to can. see you guys. Thank you very much. What an amazing banter. What an amazing, amazing banter. I love, 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 love Friday banters. High, high, high alpha shows that you can watch again and again and again. Just before we go, just a big reminder. that Remember that the Friday banters are brought to you by NordVPN. And these are really, really, really the crypto VPN guys. If you've enjoyed the show, go and show them some love. Go get yourself a VPN. At the same time, you are protecting your crypto and you're supporting the only VPN that actually is uh, crypto, the only one that you should be using if you're in crypto. So NordVPN is a referral link below. Speaking of referral links below, uh, let's quickly just go here. Uh, by the way, Carl, this is an amazing, amazing thumbnail. I love this thumbnail. Nice. You should watch this. Also, don't forget to watch Sheldon's show. Um, Sheldon's show earlier about the trading competition. As I said to you, whether or not you're going to enter the trading competition, just go and watch your strategies. I put a stop loss in that low. I don't want to risk. Remember he how he talks about RSIs and stop Very losses important. and how he's going to do it. And that's amazing. If you do want to enter the trading competition, um, remember we start on, on, does it start on, it starts on Monday, right? Trading competition. So Monday, the, the competition starts. So you've got to start, you've got to really get in there right now. All you need to do is open a Bybit or a BitGet account. Um, if you want to open a BitGet account and you are in the US, just say no. Um, I didn't say that you, I didn't say that you didn't hear it here. Uh, click here, enter into the competition on Bybit or BitGit or both. You need $250 to be in your account. And remember, we're going to be, um, in fact, should we just, should we, should we fund some accounts now? What do yeah, you say? I think so. Let's fund some accounts now. We've got to start, we really got to start funding accounts, right? All right, so let, let me just open the right spreadsheet quickly. Um, hold on. Let me just open the right spreadsheets for us. Okay, come on. It's, okay, I have a list of people on Bybit. 
who have entered the competition. Okay, here we go. So I'm going to select a whole lot of accounts. If your name is on here, you're going to, I'm going to fund your account. If your name is not on here, then get yourself on here because we're going to be funding accounts here on the Discord and over the weekend. So here we go. This account I'm going to be funding with $250 for the campaign. This account I'm also going to be funding. These are Bybit accounts, by the way, guys. Um, this account I'm going to be funding as well. And this account here, I'm going to put $500 in. Okay, so instead of 250 this one here, which I'm going to mark in red, is going to get $500 for the trading competition. Um, why can't you a US trade on BitGet? You can just, just click the other button or just get a VPN. Um, all right, let's, let's, uh, let's put some BitGet accounts in. What do you say? Let's get some BitGet accounts. Yeah. All right, so uh, BitGet, uh, let's also do some uh, $250. Remember, so here, one, this one here. Uh, $250, I'm funding your account for the trading competition. I'm funding this account for the trading competition. I'm funding this account for the trading competition. And I'm going to put $500 into that account for the trading competition. Now, remember, the competition starts on Monday. So if you haven't, if you haven't subscribed yet, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. You can win over $110,000 in prize money. That's how big it is. And the more people that subscribe, the more people that join, the more money there is to, to, to win. So here it is. The more money that in, the more people that enter, the more money we get. So, and we can all win. So, I mean, A, you get a chance to win huge amounts of money in the bear market. B, you get a chance to learn how to trade. That I must say, the, the, the trading competitions are really, really, really where I learned or where I'm learning and where I learned how to trade. I'm going to enter both. I'm going to enter Bybit and BitGet, and I'm going to have two different strategies. Two different strategies. One's going to be more conservative. One's going to be more me, more aggressive. And let's see which one does it. So listen, if you haven't entered, enter as soon as you can. I'll see you guys again over the weekend or on Monday. I uh, hope you've enjoyed this. I hope you've enjoyed uh, today's show. I love today's show. See you guys again on Monday. Until then, trade well, my friends. <laughs>